This is HPR episode 2168 entitled Analog Random Number Generation. It is hosted by Klaatu and is about 42 minutes long. The summary is Klaatu ponders Analog Random Number Generation. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Hi everyone, this is Klaatu. You're listening to Hacker Public Radio. And today I want to talk about random numbers. I don't know of many Linux geeks who are... Um, interested in sort of maintaining their system and maybe dabbling in programming who are not also obsessed, at least mildly, is that a thing, mild obsession, uh, with random numbers. Random numbers are, are kind of something, at least in my experience, and this may have just been me, but in my experience, it's something that's one of those things that you get introduced to pretty early on in your Linux exploration. Um, usually by way of stupid noob tricks, you know, kind of like, look, you can pipe dev random to your sound device and make funny sounds, you know, and that's, that's, that's your first introduction to this concept of, oh, by the way, it's not possible to produce random numbers on a computer. And that kind of, it's a mind blowing thing when you kind of realize what the implications to this dev random thing really are you 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 kind of it it kind of blows your mind um certainly i'd never before uh discovering that dev random was a thing i I certainly did not know that that you could not produce random numbers uh from a computer but that you could get close enough to it you could do pseudo random and then there's that that question of well can we even produce random numbers at all? Like, how does one do that with or without a computer? It's just like, how does one come up with a random idea, a random thought, a random number? How does how does that happen? Can it happen? And it, it's like this really sort of interesting big topic that I absolutely have no um, no authority in, in to to go into whatsoever. I mean, it's a really interesting topic, and I've actually heard, I, I got to sit in while um, two mathematicians were discussing that concept, and it was like the most interesting 15 minutes of my life, probably. It was really, really fascinating stuff. Um, but, I mean, it only it probably wasn't even a full 15 minutes. It was probably more like five minutes, and then they started talking about things I didn't even I couldn't even begin to comprehend. So yeah, it's a really fascinating subject, and that's not what I'm talking about here. Um, I'm really just talking about this idea of producing random, a random sequence of numbers without, well, without a computer, really, is, is what I'm going to get, get to. Um, so certainly, without, with a computer, it's difficult enough, but, but, but for most people, looking at slash dev slash random or you random or whatever um is is good enough close enough that's that's random enough 
it certainly is for me. Um, I've I've never I've I have yet to be at a place where that's that's not good enough for me. So um, that's great. And Python has a random function, uh, random dot rand, and you can use that. And and for for most programming purposes, again, that's good enough. It it, it generates some random numbers. In fact, the um, I mean, there are other ways to, to do that. The first, the first program exercise that I really kind of um, task myself with when I'm learning or trying to learn a, a different programming language is is a dice rolling application. I just I, I find that to be an interesting sort of thing to to approach. And um, I, I've used this in classes where I've taught people Bash and and Python because it really gets you thinking about well where wh- how can you how do you generate data how what what are your sources of data like what how can you get that and usually I pose that uh, in the in the two times that I've done this with other people I pose that to them and, and ask them we want to produce a random number so that the computer the AI has a dice roll that can compete with our dice roll. And um, how can we get that? What, where do numbers come from in real life? And they eventually usually get to the subject of time, uh, and then you can kind of whittle that down into the seconds and the different ways to, to get a timestamp from the computer and then the different ways to parse that timestamp such that it's within a certain range. Um, and sometimes that leads to mathematical things like, okay, well, how do we do a log 10 of this number, or how do we just do division of this number, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of kind of a good exercise. And then you can also get into object-oriented stuff, where you're actually defining the sides of the die, so that you're then sort of defining the range of the, the number that you want to return. It's a good exercise, I think. Um, and that's with a computer, and usually that's good enough. So, um, I'm not... I'm not fussed about whether or not I'm getting true random, even pseudo random. I, I really couldn't care less. It's more just like on the spot, can you predict the next number I'm going to I'm going to say three. Um, the traditional way to do that is uh, roll dice. That's a pretty pretty time honored, pretty 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 reliable way to kind of get an unpredictable result pretty quickly. And uh, the, the simpler version of that is flipping a coin. That starts to get dangerous because you really do start to feel like you're approaching predictability because there is that 50-50 chance. So it's just kind of like, well, I'm going to get enough right that I'm going to start doubting whether this is random enough. And I think that's the catch right there is like I, I honestly believe this um, that in terms of producing a a quote random enough number unquote well random enough unquote number um, is really based on on a feeling it's it's inside of us all um, no but really it's like it's whether you are you it's whether you believe it's random enough or not really um, because certainly if you dupe yourself into thinking uh, that 
that you're producing non-random numbers, then you, at least I, start to sort of, I, I call um, shenanigans on myself. You know, I think, well, this isn't really random. I can predict this. Even if I can't predict it, the, the, the times that I can't predict it become the exception to the times that I happen to be correct. So flipping a coin, certainly if I do that three times and I predict two out of three, then in, in my mind, that was not a random enough, um, that wasn't a random enough experience. That was, that was too predictable, which is weird because you, you kind of like, you're basing random enough on how often you fail, which I mean, part of being random enough is that you're not always going to fail. So sometimes you are going to succeed, and that's fair. But as I say, I think there's a there's like that. I guess it would be an unca uncanny valley type of type of threshold where it's random enough, random enough, random enough because I'm kind of feeling like I get some, I lose some. But then if I start if it starts going one way, and usually in my experience that's success then it starts to feel like this is no longer random. Again, that could be me. I, I would be interested in hearing other people's um, sort of experiences of that. So the problem is, what happens if you don't have dice? Because in some social situations, it's not apparently what I'm told. Uh, it's not appropriate to sit there and obsessively roll dice um, while like people are holding a business meeting or having dinner or, you know, really doing anything. So sometimes dice is not really a possibility or the coin flipping, you know, you start to look like you're two-faced or something and just kind of like trying to be cool. It's not something that you can necessarily do. So I started looking for ways to produce random numbers without dice, without a, a coin toss, and, and ideally without something that is a dead giveaway that, hi, I'm not listening to you right now. I'm actually producing random numbers in my head. Uh, so the first way that I figured on doing this was just extracting them from my environment. And that's if you're in a room and you're bored, just kind of choose something. If there's a person there, then look at the person, look at their, I don't know, their right sock. What color is it? Assign the color a name with normal English words. So let's say there it's a red sock. Red has three letters in it. I just produced the le the, the number three fairly randomly. Uh, and then I might look at something else and produce a different number. The problem with that is, I mean, that does work. The problem I've had with that is that, at least, again, for me, I start to fixate on things. And once I've once I've come up with one method of generating a number, um, that's how I start generating numbers no matter what. You know, like, so right there, I just, I gave an example of trying to find a color on a pseudo-random object and then counting the characters in the, in the color's name. And that's fine, but then at least my tendency is then to start looking at all objects in the room, extracting their color, the name of their color, the predominant color, and then giving the number. You know, and they're just, colors don't, the, the names of colors don't really vary that much. You know, it's about three, a lot of four letters, some five probably, some six. But, you know, that's kind of your range is like three to six pretty much. If I knew more color names, like if I was a, 
uh, one of those graphic designer types who had gone to like art school for graphic design, um, I might know fancier colors and I might be able to to say, you know, well, that's more of a, a mauve or a fuchsia or a turquoise. Um, I probably wouldn't say turquoise because nobody knows how to spell turquoise. So um, but what's that other one? Starts with a T. Anyway, you can come up with fancy names and then maybe you get more, maybe you get more of a variable. Either way, I feel like I really lock myself into sort of like the, the first method that I invent then becomes the only method I can I can use and it becomes kind of I, I lock myself in so that's a little bit that's a little bit um, dicey so the other another way to generate random numbers while you're sitting around doing nothing is um, you know just like if you have a magazine or a book or something open it to a random page and when I say random I, I say flip through the the the, the book and then stop on a page at some point. Um, and then before you look at the page, think of a number, you know, w whatever number you want really, probably probably up to 20 would be fine, um, zero through, or one through 20. And then, and then look at the page, count, count over each word to the 20th word or, or whatever you chose. Let's say we chose 20. So count down to 20. 20 words, look at the word that you get, and again, just count the, the letters, or assign number values to each letter based on the alphabet and add those up. You know, it, it all obviously depends on the range of number that you want. Or you could just take the first letter of the 20th word or, or whatever number you chose and, and assign that a numeric value based on its alphabetic position, and then that would be your number. So that's, that's certainly a pretty reliable way. It, it also depends upon having a book or a magazine on hand, and um, it may or may not depend on kind of like, well, it definitely depends on the frequency of certain words in a certain language. You know, obviously, the letter T is probably going to appear pretty frequently in your uh, attempt at, at pseudo-randomness just because the letter T in English, at least, is a, I think it may be one of the, the most common common letters. It's a pretty common one. Uh, I think, yeah, there are, I mean, there are stats online. You could find what, what letters are going to pop up predictably, and then that might bias your pseudo-randomness, but again, random enough. It does, however, like I say, assume that you have a book on hand. So we'll I'm going to come back to that concept because that that one sort of stuck with me. But um, some of the other efforts or the, some of the other attempts that I made uh, was something that I had found online uh, called well, it's it's pretty common and it's it's a common basis for for encryption from what I understand. Um, and and I mean I think historically it was it was encryption like this was encryption but um now it's something more just kind of used you know here and there within the encryption realm i could be wrong about this if you're if you're a professional with encryption kinds of credentials then you can certainly feel free to to elucidate but um it's this uh it's this trick or this uh it's a math thing uh that you do with the modulo and uh the the first the first the setup is that you have to choose uh, two seed numbers, 
and you can choose any really seed number that you want. But um, cramming this all into sort of the, the dice um, framework, we could say uh, we need to choose, let's say, one through six. And so we'll, we'll assign our first seed, X, um, to two, our second seed, Y, to three. And the number of sides of our, on our die to Z at six. So you're, this is, we're still in our setup mode here. So I have two and three as my seed numbers, and I have six as my side, as my die, my die side. Uh, so it's a D6 in the terminology of people who know dice. Um, so the first thing you do is you take uh, 2 modulo 6, which essentially is 2 divided by 6, and 6 doesn't go in the 2, so that's a 0. And we say, apparently, that you have 2 left over. So the modulo of 2 divided by 6 is... or 2 mod, two mod 6 is actually two, which I did not know. I thought it was zero, but apparently, at least for the the for this exercise, we say that the the that if if it is zero, then we just give ourselves the originating number. So three mod six is three. So that was basically pointless. Um, but either way, that's our seed. So what you do then? This is no longer the setup. You have your seed numbers. So you do 2 plus 3, that's your, your seed numbers, and that equals 5. So if we take 5 mod 6, then we get a 5. So now we take the second seed number, y, we always take y, and we take our result that we just got, which is 5. So y most recently was 3, and then we add 5, and that produces an 8. Ah, well, there's something that 6 actually does go into. So 8 mod 6 is 2. So now we take our previous y, which was 5, and we take our result, which was 2, and we say 5 plus 2 equals 7. So 7 mod 6, again, 6 does go into 7 with 1 left over, so our result is 1. So now we take our previous y, which was 2, we add 1, our result, that's that gives us a 3. 3 mod 6, we already know that one, that's 3. Previous y is 1, plus 3 is our result, equals 4. 4 mod 6 is 4. Previous y was 3, result was 4, equals 7. 7 mod 6 is 1. And you just keep going like that for as long as you want. And generally speaking, it turns out to be random enough. I mean, that's not a very great sample um, that I just gave you, but I don't think you really want me to just keep doing maths in your ear. So, um, but if we do take that simple six, six iteration uh, sample, we've got five, two, one, three, four, one. It's pretty random. Um, and and again, that's that's we're 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 limiting our range here to you know sort of a, a six a divisor of six. So um, that that. That that's going to obviously limit the the randomness. But if 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 you're trying to emulate a dice roll, a, a typical d6 dice roll, um, that you have to admit that that looks like something we would write down after six die rolls, five, two, one, three, four, one. You could totally you could you could see that, and you could increase you you could do a different number instead, use a different range. That's fine. 
Um, so that was kind of an interesting exercise, and um, not a not a horrible way to go, really. It's uh, in terms of of if you're sitting around needing random numbers in your head, um, then that's that's actually a really cool trick, and um, it, it's 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 pretty fun, and you can just keep going with it and just get you know unexpe fairly unexpected uh, numbers every time, unless you're a math genius where you don't even have to think about that and maybe it, it becomes predictable to you just because you know you you think in in modulo anyway which is fair and that and that's another thing that I've discovered about sort of obtaining random numbers your own worst enemy is um, your your own sort of memory or level of knowledge uh, if if that math process right there that I just went through causes you to kind of like actually think then it's probably random enough if you think oh that's so easy like and you could just rattle off the the numbers uh, instantly then you you may not think that it's random enough because because there's no process there there's you know you you see the numbers and you just you know the result right away and so it doesn't feel random anymore um, because you just, you know, you can predict it essentially. So it, it kind of depends on your own, um, your own ability to do math, really. So sort of more or less, not really based on that, but sort of based on that. Inspired by that, I came up with this other method, um, which is a uh, a shifting table. And once again, like you can make it as as sort of big and complex as you want um, I, I think it's dangerous there's a danger in in this in the these exercises thinking that well the more complex and the bigger it is the more random it'll be and that falls apart really fast like trust me like y you can think that and next thing you know you're finding patterns in things that you just would have never thought patterns could be found in um, so I, I would say don't really get too fooled by by big inflated numbers or bigger matrices. You know, it's it's not necessarily going to be any more satisfying than a small, simple one. Uh, so my shifting table idea, and this may have been done before, I, I don't know. All I know is that it came to me at some point, and, and I've been playing around with it. Um, again, if you're really into maths and, and all this stuff, you you probably know the technical names for all of these things. Um, the, the previous ones are pretty well known. These The, the next two that I'm going to discuss, um, as far as I know, are, are kind of my ideas. Um, I mean, I'm not saying they're great ideas. I'm just saying they're my ideas. Um, so shifting table, I have one row of one, two, three, delta, and then four, five, six. Uh, so that's two rows, sorry. One, two, three, delta, and then on the next row, four, five, six. And that's your matrix. So you have an uneven sort of table. You have four columns on the top, three columns on the bottom. And you move uh, within that matrix. You move um, north to south, and then northeast, south, northeast, south, northeast, south. So in other words, if we're counting on this table, and none of this will make sense yet, just, just bear with me. 
uh, it's it'll be one four two five three six delta, and then we would wrap back around one four two five three six delta. So that's kind of the progression. So you go down, over, down, over, down, over, down. The delta we can make, uh, we we can have that mean anything, or you can have it mean a shifting, you know, an alternating thing. So that on your first attempt, delta means shift to the right. On your second attempt, delta means shift back to the left. On your third attempt, delta could mean shift southwest. Um, whatever. The empty, the empty space underneath the delta, is, you just skip. That, that just doesn't exist. So um, my idea was that if, you each, if we choose a, a, a number, uh, probably a C number would make sense first. So let's just randomly choose, I guess, a, uh, a 2. So we would enter the table on the 1. That would be one move. And then we would go down to 4. That's two moves. Uh, and so our seed of 2 produced a 4. So now what we do is from the top of the table, we count four spaces. So 1, 4, 2, 5. So we're all sitting on 5 now. That's our entry point. Uh, and the reason we did that is because our result, the result of our, of our previous go, is our new seed number. So we're, at, we're on space number 4, which is the, the number 5 um, in the sequence. And, and well, I guess before we would do that, sorry, we would pick an, a number at random, 1 through 6. Um, so let's choose... Um, well, let's let's choose a uh, let's choose a three. So we're sitting on five. So then the next one would be three, six, and then we land on delta, and delta will just say shifts us over to um, to the one, which I don't really think would make much sense because the empty space underneath the delta shifts us to the right anyway. But anyway, we'll we'll go with it for now. So now we're sitting on on one, um, which is kind of an unfortunate place to be because that means whatever number you choose next is going to be the number that you get or does it. So let's choose a um, let's choose a 3 again. So we are at 1 and then 4 and then 2, 1 2 3. So depending on how we're counting here, I guess our our dice roll result would be 2. Um, and then if we so now our new seed number is 2, so we're back over on 4. And so then if we choose, I don't know, 6, so then we go 2, 5, 3, 6, delta, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, delta, and then 1. So we're back over on 1. So it's, I think that our sequence was something like 4, 1, 3, 6, 1, or something like that. Um, so it, again, there is uh, some randomness there. And usually when I'm doing it, I, I do it on paper, and I just rewrite, I shift the numbers manually, uh, so that I'm always entering on the upper left quadrant, uh, and then counting down, up, down, up, down, up, and, and kind of do it that way. Uh, but you don't have to. You can just treat it as a, a map and then position yourself on that map based on whatever your previous result was. So your result becomes your seed, and your seed defines how much you shift the table over. And all that does is confuse your brain, because then your brain as long as you don't, you know, as long as you don't think in numbers, which I know some people really can do that really well, but as long as you don't, it's just enough obfuscation 
that you're sort of like, oh, I, I, I sense like a three would be a good choice because that should get me in the upper range. And then you you go to your table and you put yourself where your seed number was and you're thinking, oh, darn, I just chose, I chose a three and I was on five. So then I go three, six, and then I land on that stupid delta number and that shifts me back over, you know, to the left or something like that. And you actually have rolled a three or, or whatever you want. When I shift the, the numbers, I don't shift the position of the delta sometimes and then some other times I do shift the position of the delta so that kind of throws some interesting randomness into it um so it's it's just one of those like it's just unpredictable enough so that your brain kind of believes that there's randomness and I've had I've had pretty good success with that method to be honest um and I'm pretty happy with that the the shifting table method I'm I'm happy enough with it it's I'm sure it's very rudimentary, um, and and it's you know I wouldn't I wouldn't base encryption off of that method at all, but it's something. Um, it 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 does like I say it, it, if you do it enough, which you know five iterations or whatever we just did isn't enough, but if you do it enough, you will. It, it does if you look at the numbers, it feels like a dice roll, and that that to me says random enough. The final method that I came up with is a uh, pocket dice roller which isn't really dice at all, but um, I happened to attend a zine-making workshop at, um, at, a, at an art group that I, that I attend locally. Um, and the, a zine-making workshop seems kind of silly. I mean, it's, it's not exactly rocket science, but the, um, I figured I'd go because it was a good example, or a good uh, excuse, rather, to uh, sit down and you know, produce a zine for you know, analog fun for an hour for free, and then you end up with a zine at the end, which, of course, I've since thrown out. Um, but it, it was a good exercise, but not, not, not for the reason that I kind of had anticipated. Um, the, 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 the way that the uh, facilitator, the instructor guy, was doing the zine was like this sort of self-folding pocketbook um, from one sheet of paper. I'd never seen this before. Uh, I have since found out that it, I, I don't know who came up with the idea first or, or, or whatever, but, but if you go to a site called pocketmod, I think, dot com, um, they, I don't know if, again, I don't know if they like um, invented this or if they're just the ones who, who came up with the brand pocketmod, um, but they, their, their site certainly comes across like it was like their own brilliant idea. Again, I have no idea if that's correct. Like this could have been something that dates back to the 1600s for all I know. I have no clue. So I, I hesitate to call it a pocket mod, but but if you're doing searches online for 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 this this thing, it's pocketmod.com. P O C K E T M O D.com. Uh, so anyway, the point is that you get to take this letter size or A4 size paper, you fold it in half, and then you fold that in half. Then the, what I'm talking, um, so that you have long strips of paper. So you've got these four sort of panels, and then you fold that in half. So you, now you've got eight, 
8 squares. And then you take the, the two middle long panels together uh, and cut down the center. So you've got these weird sort of flaps. And you fold the flaps, you fold the top flap to the left, top, bottom flap to the, the right, or, or vice versa, and then fold that in half, and then fold that in half. Trust me, it makes more sense if you see it. Um, I've got instructions online, and pocketmod.com also has instructions. The um, the end result is that you have a um, a little booklet that you can fit into your pocket. It's about the size of, I, I would say, a poker card, a playing card, whatever. Um, or business. Is it as big as it? It's bigger than a business card. But, you know, it's 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 basically that. Yeah, it's a bit taller than a business card, a little bit wider. But, yeah, you know, so it's, it's a little tiny booklet of eight pages. It's a little bit funky because um, page one and three, oh, and two, all, all pages, all pages are, are sort of like they're, they're folded over on each other, you know, so there's, there, there are probably refinements that could be made to this, um, you know, you could, you could cut some more edges to produce more pages, um, I just don't know how that would affect it looks like you could at least cut page one. Um, yeah, so it's a little bit funky, but I mean, it's honestly, it's really handy. It's like this self-contained little booklet of at least eight pages, and um, it's it's quite nice. And this idea kind of started me thinking that maybe there was a way to produce a, a random number generator uh, that could be printed on a little uh, pocket notepad booklet, pocket mod, I guess is what we'll call it. Um, and and that could be like an easy sort of portable way to, um, to, to have a random number generator. And so I, um, I went into Scribus and laid out this uh, four up or eight up um, little design. Um, of of some matrices, matrices, and there are uh, four matrices per page. Uh, two of them are facing upwards, two of them are upside down. So essentially we've got 16 pages, if you will, since so each page is basically dual purpose. So you can flip the book over or over again or over, and you, you'll, you'll always have a, a matrix facing up. Um, Meaning that you, uh, you know, you, you look at the matrix that's that's correctly oriented for you, and if you don't like that matrix, then you can flip the book over, and you've got an, a new matrix to look at. So, no matter where you turn, no matter which way you turn the book, you have a matrix to to look at. Now, the way that it works is um, similar to all these other methods. Really, it's you you have to first come up with a seed. So. Um, the, the first, we'll just use the, the six, the D6 matrix to begin with, although I do have a, D, um, a D10 matrix as well on, on the same booklet. So if you choose any letter from, from A to F, then uh, let's just choose, let's say, um, D, delta. Uh, so we look at the first page, and again, you can flip, if you, you know, you 
it's a flippable book. So you've got like four different possibilities just to start with. Um, so I'm kind of turning it over in my hand and here I've got, um, actually it's the way I designed it. It looks like you only have three possibilities for Delta, but that's just because that's, that's just the luck of the draw. Um, anyway, um, so here's a Delta and it says Delta gets a three. So three is my seed number. And that means that on my next, on my, on my next roll, as it were, uh, I need to go to page three. So I'll, I'll, I'll use the front cover as one. Next page is two. Next page is three. And then before I look at that, uh, I should choose a number, or a letter rather, A through F. So we'll choose uh, B, beta. I'll open it to page three, and I get another number three. So that's the same number as what I just had. So rather than using the same page, I'll flip the book over. I'll choose a letter. Uh, let's go with A. And I'll go to page three, my new page three. Um, a gets a four. So then I will choose another letter. Um, let's do delta again. And I'll turn to page four. And now that got a six. And then if I do, a, if I'll go to page six. But before I look, I will choose another letter. Let's go with C because we haven't done that yet. Another six. Um, I'll flip the book, go to page, my new page six. I'll choose a number, a letter rather. Uh, let's go with um, B, beta again. Uh, that's a one. And and so then I would go to the page one. So so you just kind of keep doing that. Like you, your result again is your is the seed for your next go. And you are choosing letters that um, that get assigned a different number depending on what page you happen to have to turn to. There are enough matrices in here that uh, it's quite unpredictable um, as to as to what you're going to be rolling. Not only because it's difficult to remember what each matrix, you know, the configuration of each matrix, because there are sixteen of them. Um, but also because you can, well, there are eight, let's say, and you can flip the book, so then there are eight more, so there are 16. Um, so the page numbers, there are no page numbers, so you just, you kind of count on your own, and depending on the orientation, that page number may or may not be, you know, strictly speaking, is that page two or is it page six? You'll never know. Um, and and the the letters I think I've I've found really help because that way you're not really thinking of numbers you're thinking of letters and I mean yes it's a thin veil you can kind of think well F is six okay that's easy so I'll just choose F but I mean that's going to screw you over because I just turned to um, page one two three four five F is two so you know there's 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 some unpredictability there and it 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 has ended up being uh, random enough for sure. Um, and I've published that particular system on GitLab. So if you go to gitlab.com slash two slash pocket dice roller, then you will see, um, the, the system itself, both the, um, Scribus source code or source code, source document, uh, as well as the, um, distributable A4 and letter size um, sheets of, of paper that you can print and, and redistribute and, and create yourself. And there, there are instructions on the back of the 
of the PDF, or you know, if you print it out dual side, the back of it is instructions on how to fold it and where to cut, um, and also how to use it just in case you need a, a reminder. And, and like I say, there's a there's a D10 matrix in there as well, so you can choose from A to J, uh, and then that that doesn't exactly work. I mean, it does. There are only eight pages in the book, so you just you can count matrices, or you can just kind of cycle back through, you know, kind of flip it and recycle, go back through the pages if you get something like a nine or a ten. Uh, it doesn't really matter. And of course, since you have a D6 and a D10, you also inherit, not strictly speaking, but again, random enough speaking, you kind of inherit a D12 and a D20. So, you know, if, I mean, if we're assuming that two rolls of a D6 equals a D12, which statistically, I, I, I'm pretty sure it does not, um, but again, random enough, good enough, it, it, it tends to work out. So that's my um, pocket dice roller system, which you're you're welcome to to um, beta test for me. Um, it's it's published on uh, GitLab.com as well as RPG uh, RPGnow.com. RPGnow.com. Just look for pocket dice roller, I guess. And that's it. It's a simple little system. It it it's pretty reliable. It's random enough. Hopefully this episode's been uh, interesting, um, and if nothing else, random. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.